All right, how are we all doing today? This is, <laughs> I. it's starting to warm up here in Idaho. I don't know about, about you all, but man, it's like, I would just want to be outside. <laughs> I'm just sick of being cooped up. It's still daylight right now too, right? Uh-huh, yeah, for us it is, yeah. Nice, time changes next weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yay. All right, so I don't, I don't think we have any announcements like we usually do, <laughs> but just a reminder that uh, uh, Doug Clark will be here on, on March 21st, um, 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time um, for, for that discussion. Can you send um, out a remind uh, for that? Yeah, for sure. On that, on that day, send out a remind, that'd be awesome. Uh, yeah. Let me just get my notes. first all right <clears throat> sorry i'm <laughs> the lord sometimes doesn't work conveniently and i'm just like uh, five minutes before class i'm getting all this revelation for my calling and, and so my, i'm a little scatterbrained right now trying to write it down make sure that I, i've got things going on but um anyway chapter nine um we have got uh this is the the great temple chapter here. Uh, there's, there's lots of things and patterns and uh, things to learn and, and things to implement in our lives. Um, I, I would love to, to hear from any of you if you have any experiences with the homework assignment this week, as uh, we were invited to, uh, to pray with all the intensity of our heart for the, the people of the earth, etc. Um, did any have, anyone have anything that they would like to, to kind of share on that, that principle? comforting having something to do something i can do something i can do to make a difference yeah for sure yeah it, it was an interesting uh one this week where I, I don't know it seemed like satan was really trying to get me not to pray at all uh trying to get me busy during those times and and really um he seen that i was coming and <laughs> uh, makes it that much harder uh when you're when you've got a resolve to do it especially being fast sunday oh man because I, I work uh, uh in a restaurant at nights and so it <laughs> being around food all night long and and things i always there was quite a few times when i would go to to eat something or test it you know um before we we serve it kind of thing and it's like oh crap i'm fasting um anyway it was very hard to to keep that going but that momentum uh was was great. Um, I think that that was the Lord kind of um, helping me uh, have more purpose of prayer. Um, and because I was praying and fasting for other people instead of some of my own personal desires, it was like, oh, I can do this. I can remember this kind of a thing. And, and it was a very interesting experience. I, I loved it. Um, yes. So why does Abraham pick up and move to uh, Gerar or, or Bathsheba. Uh, what, what was the purpose behind uh, this big move for him? And, and why is that significant for us um, to, to know more about his story and, and where he, uh, he locates himself? I thought it was really frustrating that that happened because he had such a good thing going and he had people that were coming in. He was able to minister to them and then he couldn't. <laughs> he had mm -hmm. a good yeah, for sure. I don't yeah. know. I, I just read this today again, and I can't remember why, but um, I was like, oh, man, really? 
Yeah, anytime that we see that he has to stretch and grow and stuff, it's kind of like, oh, shoot. He finally had, had arrived, and yet the Lord's picking up and moving him again. Well, it seems like um, this is after Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. Mm-hmm. And where they were, where he was located before, it was at a place where people were traveling to to there and he always liked to be where people were traveling to and from so he could reach all these different visitors coming through travelers and stuff and that stopped abruptly plus the people of Sodom and Gomorrah weren't traveling anymore and so they just I think he moved on so that he could set up a place again mm-hmm. like before so it yeah. could reach a lot of people and like it says there on page 190 uh about midway down oh he exclaiming why should hospitality cease from my house like <laughs> i this is what i've set up everything that i've built here you know it, uh, not from his choices but from the people around him that that opportunity to to do missionary work was was taken away and, and a new challenge and a, a new thing. And then what happens as soon as they move and get there, then Sarah is taken away from the house again. Like, does do the trials never cease? No, because the, the Lord is uh, proving them true and faithful in all things, right? It was <laughs> almost like, the same scenario as when they went to Egypt, right? She had to say that he, she was his sister and that, yeah. which is crazy because you know like i've only heard that scenario once but it actually happens to abraham and sarah twice and and think about what we just learned last chapter um hagar is is now pregnant i'm not sure if she's had the baby i'm a little fuzzy on the timeline uh when this happens but um so so hagar is either pregnant or or has had ishmael and then sarah is is taken again as as a wife for for the king and and etc and the whole scenario plays out there like this can't have been easy like if we thought the first one in egypt was hard this one was was even <laughs> a little bit more challenging it seems like like no i shouldn't be taken away from home right when um hagar has is kind of made some of her uh thoughts and um uh, some of that pride enter into to her and even though she came back and she repented and and things and was welcomed back into the house that you know <laughs> what a time to to be gone um and it sounds like sarah was gone for for a little while or else um what does it say that um they had uh, many days or something doesn't it yeah where um the the women around were uh had an inability to conceive um where is that at oh on the top of 191 and so, I mean, to, to know that women are having a hard time uh, conceiving, you would have to have been quite a few days there kind of a thing. I mean, this wasn't just like a, a overnight jaunt and the king repented and sent her back kind of thing. I mean, this is over a, a, a quite a little time. And think how old Sarah is at, at this point, too. And, you know, she's... Plus, Cameron, the, those um, three visitors had just visited him and told her she was going to conceive 
-hmm. And then Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed and then they left. So, I mean, she knew she was going to be uh, conceiving before too long Mm -hmm. and then (laughs) be (laughs) separated from Abraham. Uh, Mm -hmm. That couldn't have been easy. <laughs> it's amazing that that some of these tests are not just one-time tests either you know like the same thing gets repeated uh over and over to um doesn't the same thing happen with isaac and rebecca mm-hmm. yeah exactly and so um we have this abimelech the um the king of, of Gerar, or Gerar, or however you say it, that um, ha- has a dream and, and is healed and, and everything. It's almost the exact same scenario that, that played out in, in Egypt. Um, but uh, this time, an interesting point is made that um, Abimelech's wife had previously been unable to bear a child, and, and so had some of the, the women um, in that place as well. But Abraham's prayer allowed her to conceive and, um, and, and also some of the women around. And so that's an interesting new development with this, that Abraham ha- has a greater power. And uh, since the, the last episode in, in Egypt kind of a thing, and he's able to, to bring these uh, blessings into to their lives. And then um, the, the point is made that that Abraham and Sarah, they actually had a renewing of their bodies and that's what allowed them to conceive after so many years of, of being infertile and, um, you know, she's went through menopause, etc. cetera. Um, but that renewing of their bodies is, is huge. And where else do we hear that, that phrase, that term? Um, it comes from translation or um, from uh, the higher blessings uh, of the gospel. And as we attain those kind of things on page 194 it talks about that um that youthful rejuvenation or the physically rejuvenated um they're right in between footnote 45 and 46 thus were their bodies renewed by the spirit the promise made to all who are faithful in obtaining and magnifying the higher priesthood and that's found in doctrine and covenants 84 so so i have something to say about this yeah so um gene b bingham I, I believe that she met with President Nelson. Was it like on the, in New York on the farm or something? And they had like a little interview in one of the houses. Yeah. So um, she says this little, this little thing I have printed out and I'm not sure where I found this because I just printed out because I liked it, but it says, dear sisters, have you ever wondered how the open covenant of the priesthood impacts a woman's life? I have last August on a lovely day in Harmony, Pennsylvania. And this was in Pennsylvania. I had a unique conversation with President Russell M. Nelson. We talked about the oath and the covenant of the priesthood and how it blesses our lives. President Nelson said that living into his 90s, he has been blessed even unto the renewing of his body. And then it quotes Doctrine and Covenants 8433. Mm-hmm. Very insightful. Yes. And, um, you know, how many times have um, the apostles talked about? Um, his skiing or um you know, keep up with them yeah like the, the elevator rides and stuff and he's running and, and they just can't keep up with him kind of thing uh wendy nelson said that on his worldwide ministry like he's actually getting younger like at the pulpit mm-hmm. i can, can see that 
transformation, you know, and that's somebody that's very close to him and, and seeing that. Um, but yeah, it, it's a very interesting principle. And, and how does that impact us? Like, what do we get from this? Like, how do we apply it to our lives? Is this the blessing that is available to us? And if so, how um, is the pattern found here in, in the story of Abraham? I believe it is. Yeah, and I believe that President Nelson is showing us and inviting us to, to partake in this. Mm -hmm. um, if you think about, and you, you're a return missionary, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So how close did you live to the spirit with the spirit when you were on your mission and you had eliminated all the worldly things from your life, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I think that that's a huge part of um, those blessings. And so, mm -hmm. and so when we come back and we're, we're living again, uh, a, a different lifestyle and, and assimilating some of those things back it's like well oh, i really miss the the constant guiding influence of the spirit well then you can still do that, that. Yeah. yeah you can still do that and, and you talked about it how you cut out media and um how that you're trying to you know you're studying and you're doing all those things um I, you know i think it's really exciting and it's i think it's going to be really really important in the coming days to, to even focus more on this promise, this blessing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, I, it's not like a, a one size fits all kind of a package as well. Um, I know that, that both you and Janet have expressed different things where um, you've been prompted in, in ways like uh, Laura, you, you're told to, to stay on Facebook and, and minister and do minister, uh, missionary work, etc there whereas like mine was was a totally different thing like discard it uh, get rid of it kind of a thing because i don't have uh the the friends and groups and, and things where um that was important to me uh janet was talking about uh the the media and, and different things like that and the spirit is prompting her in a different way and so you know we we all have our we just gotta live by the spirit and that's that's all there is to it and that's what missionary work is is all about where we 24 seven are, are living by the spirit for a high and holy work. And um, kind of getting back into that groove as a return missionary is like, okay, yeah, I can do it. But until you're fully converted to it, and I think that's uh, part of a baptism of fire kind of experience or a testimony kind of thing, where you no longer have a desire to, to sin or no longer, I mean, you just crave righteousness rather than the, oh, well, I just need my fix or I, I need this uh, downtime just for myself kind of a thing. And, and as soon as we stop being uh, myopic and, and are doing it to build Zion, you know, there's many different avenues that the spirit will take us, I, I think. That was from President Nelson. Mm-hmm. All right. So um, let's go to um, the, the Grand Banquet here on, on 195 and um, the next few pages here. I have always had a problem with the story. I, I've never understood it. I've, it's always seemed very jarring. seems like we don't have the full revealed um, inspiration here. But whatever happens between Isaac and, and Ishmael and uh, the, the mocking, the unfortunate translation of, of that word. Um, anyway, there, there's a lot here in this story, but what all insights did, did you have from reading this story? Um, any 
new testimony building things about this? Um, did this clarify anything for you? Do you still have questions, et cetera? I have to be honest, I didn't read this today and I can't remember this story. Oh, you're good. Um, let's see. So like on page 196, um, so in between footnotes 69 and 70, they're kind of towards the top. Um, Jubilees describes the scene as follows, that Sarah saw Ishmael playing and dancing and Abraham rejoicing with great joy. Her reaction as reported in Genesis was to declare to Abraham, cast out that slave woman and her son, for the son of that slave shall not share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. And that's even from um, the, the JPST there. And so, I don't know, it, it's a very interesting thing. It seems very uncharacteristic of Sarah, um, but we do have uh, the, the previous instance with her and Hagar, and now her and um, her issue with, with both Hagar and Ishmael. Um, anyway, it, it's a very interesting um, conundrum that I think we kind of have to wrestle with and, and wrap our minds around why Sarah would um, would say that and um, why later on down the page there by um, uh, footnote 78, 79-ish, um, where God told Abraham to implement Sarah's wish. Um, he said to him, Abram, dost thou not know that Sarah was appointed to thee for a wife from her mother's womb? She is thy companion and thy wife of thy covenant. All that Sarah has spoken, she has uttered truthfully, for she is also a prophetess. Therefore, let it not be grievous in thine eyes. And so, I mean, she just came, uh, Sarah has just come out of her additional trial of um, being taken by Abimelech, etc. And um, she's finally conceived and her children and or, uh, a child at, at this point. And so she's proven herself worthy. She wouldn't go against God's wishes and hear God saying to Abraham, you know, follow uh, Sarah's advice because she's also a prophetess. Footnote 71 says her passion to nurture Isaac to his full potential. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that, that, that's a huge thing. If she's seeing the future and what Isaac's role is going to be in Isaac's posterity, and if there's any sort of clash with yeah. Isaac and Ishmael's posterity, um, she, she's seeing that and, and making that, that separation, that cut, um, which, is, which is interesting. Um, anytime that we, we have family relations that are confusing or um, anyway, there, there's just lots of emotions running high uh, throughout this story and it um, at first kind of seems a little jarring. Um, but I hope that uh, the previous week's homework of, of considering Ishmael's role in the latter days and, and things has helped kind of give maybe a new perspective to this or an enhanced perspective that um, God didn't forget about Ishmael and and he and Hagar were led by an angel and, and cared for uh, by Abraham even, as we'll see in the next few chapters. And the Lord's ways sometimes are a little confusing, but, but yet he knows best what uh, he needs to happen for the covenant to be perpetuated and for um, the blessings to reach all of his children here on earth. And so, I don't know, I, I've always had a problem with that story, and it, it, 
I don't know if I, I'm totally resolved on it yet, but I, I just know that, that God does love us and, and he uh, did what was needed at this time for, for whatever means that is. Um, I'm excited to someday wrap my head around all of that. Well, I think that I was comforted in the fact that Abraham goes to visit Ishmael a lot. I mean, mm -hmm. he remains close to him. I don't know his relationship with Hagar, <laughs> but, <laughs> but it was very comforting to me to know how much he loved Ishmael and he kept in contact with him. Right, yeah. Because that's something that we don't hear about in, in our scriptures or, or um, in our normal tellings of the story. Um, but of course, Abraham would. I mean, if he's this, this friend of God and stuff, like, that just makes sense. And so now that there are some extra canonical sources of that, it just kind of brings peace. Like, oh, yeah, okay. So he does. He does maintain contact and, and everything. Um, I find it very interesting on, on 197 um around in between footnotes 84 and 85 where he says that um hagar is this remarkable woman um she asked abraham if god had commanded him to do this when he answered the affirmative this remarkable woman declared her faith in god and god's servant abraham by courageously stating that she knew that god would take care of them i mean that shows a lot of faith right there i mean that's just not something that, that typically happens that uh, you're supposed to take your your second wife um your your handmaiden kind of thing and uh take her out and almost <laughs> into the boonies for lack of a better word kind of thing and um, just leave them but um hagar had faith and and by proxy we we definitely know that, that ishmael must have had that that same faith there um, well didn't we read that abraham gave her a lot of gold and silver and many provisions mm -hmm. i mean i so i mean he took care of her he didn't just mm -hmm. yeah i mean it, it seems like the stories we heard in our childhood was yeah. she didn't have anything but this said that he took care of her she had a lot of provisions mm -hmm. yeah oh so i don't know and then I kind of get my chapters mixed up, but isn't this one where um, they're actually building a temple for uh, Ishmael? Yes. So, yeah. Yes. Um, so, you know, not only are, are they escorted out and um, uh, given many provisions, but he doesn't even um, let them go without the, the temple blessings and, and that the, the rites of worship. Like, obviously, Abraham would set this up for them. And so um, I found that very interesting. I, I've studied it in the past, this past year, but you know I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on, on some of my stuff about the the Kaaba or um, that temple that that is built there in um, at Mecca. But um, interesting things that it talks about here: uh, the black stone with the footprint and the the seven circuits that uh, that they walk uh, around the the Kaaba. Um, the, the temple towers made of the image of seven cosmic spheres, etc. that Abraham offered a dedicatory prayer um, for this, this uh, holy place. Uh, that, that just makes me so happy there, you know, that they, they had some of those blessings. Now, we don't know exactly what kind of function that that temple uh, was for them, you know, saving ordinances or um, if it was just a 
just a holy site, uh, who knows, um, but that it is still uh, revered and honored to this day. You know, they, they make a pilgrimage there. It, they, they admonish their, their people to, to go there at least once in their lifetime and, and have that experience uh, there at the temple. I, I think that that's very uh, venerable that, um, you know, all of Abraham's descendants are, are looking towards holy sites and pilgrimages and places uh, of worship. Well, I think if Abraham and Ishmael built it, that they did receive the saving ordinances in it. I mean, mm -hmm. yeah, because Abraham, Abraham knew how to build a temple. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And um, and and if so, do they? I, I'm you know not being familiar with their history and stuff. Did they have the priesthood at at that time and? did it well we assume that it, it fell into apostasy you know along with with the rest of the the pattern of of most cultures and, and things of of god's children that you know uh, it seems like they they had the priesthood they were fishing in the temple and um uh, there was great things happening there yeah why wouldn't he ha i mean why would he not get uh ordained Ishmael to the priesthood, he definitely did uh, Isaac, you know, yeah. why would he for one and not the other? It doesn't sound mm -hmm. like that would be. What else do we know about the three visitors? That's a good question. Um, That's a question to ask the author if he, if he has yeah. any insight on that. You want to write that one down for me? Yes. Because after they came is when she was able to conceive, he was able to receive that, that covenant blessing of having his seed. Yeah, that's a great question to ask him. I love that. I'm going to be. <laughs> well, and just the number three, I mean, that's huge right there. Three visitors, not just one visitor, but three visitors. That's a big deal, I think. That's a big number. Mm -hmm. We go through three visitors, you know, the, the Godhead is three, then um, Peter, James, and John is three, the three Nephites. There's a lot of threes. Yeah, for sure. Um. <laughs> Cameron, the place that they built this temple, isn't it the same place where um, Hagar and Ishmael, no, when Hagar went the first time at the well and the angel came? I, I believe so, but I don't have that marked here. Because um, I think that that well thing is where mecca is and that say in this temple is at mecca yeah yeah the temple is in mecca um i'm gonna have to to look at that but that's interesting um because many important things happen at wells right i mean as mm -hmm. abraham's going throughout the the tour of canaan there it's always a well and an altar set up kind of a thing and that she is is also setting up at at a well Yeah, very interesting. Um, 
I find it uh, uh, interesting point here um, on page 199 where um, that it says after Abraham uh, comes back, even Abraham and his detractors uh, had his detractors and back in Beersheba, he found that they seized upon this latest episode in his domestic life to criticize him. If he were a righteous man, would he have thrust away his firstborn son, etc.? But Abraham was willing to, to risk his reputation for righteousness. And, and I find that an interesting principle, uh, especially from that, that following quote there from Lectures on Faith. For a man to lay down his all, his character, his reputation, his honor and applause, his good name among men, his houses, his lands, his brothers and sisters, wives and children, and even his own life also, counting all things but filth and dross for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That, I think that that's a, a huge principle and one that we sometimes don't see as readily apparent in our day. Um, yes, you know, some people make fun of us in our religion, but um, for the most part, we we aren't risking our reputation a, a lot of times like like Abraham does uh, uh, time and again. Um, I think but, that's coming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think we're we're headed into uh, a scary time, and we do know that the Antichrist really does press down the the saints and, and persecute them, go after them for their beliefs and, and things, and so. Um, you know, we, we all experience some of the the tests um, at, at different times, but but that one definitely seems to be headed our way um, as we, we move closer to the second coming. I have um, um, several friends that I thought were really strong in, in the faith or dropping out of the church. Are you seeing that in your area? Um, you know, our town only has 200 people, but yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a few that I, were, are kind of surprising. And, um, you know, it's not in, in vast droves. We, I, I find um, the, the casualness more uh, what's kind of claiming a, a slow kind of spiritual death um, amongst people rather than quick and abrupt, um, oh, we're just leaving the church kind of a thing. Um, there's, but, you know, I, I see that in, in the, the church as a whole, there, there's definitely a, a huge group that are, are leaving over seemingly insignificant things, you know, in the grand scheme of everything. But yeah, it, it's a great testing and, and trying and proving uh, that great sifting that we talk about uh, many times of, of the very elect. Mm -hmm. Yep. All right. So um, let's kind of transition into um, his house here at Beersheba. I, I find all of this very interesting as he is setting up, um, you know, he, he does the same pattern wherever he goes. He sets his house as a great missionary uh, tool. It's strategically located. Um, easy for people to come and go but this one he builds like a visitor center of uh, <laughs> great proportions right um just the the description on page 199 and 200 uh it's just very interesting here um but the center for his missionary efforts was his own residence and um 
just some of the, the different things that I have got highlighted throughout here. Um, there's four gates, uh, one for each of the directions so that it was easily accessible from whichever uh, side people uh, came from. Planted a vineyard, uh, garden. Um, it's kind of like a Garden of Eden motif. You know, the, our temples are our gardens of Eden. And um, uh, he, he's implementing that so that they can come and eat and be filled uh, both physically and spiritually. Um, that he fed and clothed and comforted, uh, consoled and, and wiped away tears. Um, and, and Sarah, his wife, was sharing in the charitable work. Um, just arduously working to uh, bless all of mankind through their their kind of temple visitor center there at, at Beersheba. I find it very interesting uh, how that all plays out. Uh, this says on, on 201 that um, they even uh, associated it with a pool that uh, he probably did the, the ordinances of baptism in uh, for those that, that came and, and wanted to make the, the covenants there. I, I don't know. I just love all of this uh, information and tidbits about uh, his house here and how we might implement the same in our, our own. Cameron, on 203, it says that um, Abraham restored the earth to its parents the cyclical condition as the ground began again blossomed in loveliness and all the powers of the earth were re restored and displayed themselves. We actually had the power to make the ground paradise paradisiacal to change that how did how did that work Cameron <laughs> I know I want that secret <laughs> I like last year I, I've been trying to do some uh, yard work and uh, stuff anyway and, and it really gets out of hand there's weeds all the time there's lots of work that goes into it I, I wanted to to be in that paradisiacal state already <laughs> but but very interesting as um, President Nelson has invited us to uh, to, to build our homes or renovate them is um, uh, all of a sudden the term left me sanctuaries of faith, faith. Mm -hmm. and and how important that is and back to Uchtdorf's talk um, it was before President Nelson got put in um, but he gave a talk and he talked about the the phrase holiness to the Lord and how the early pioneers used to put that phrase on everything on Zion's bank on their dishes on on everything that everything was holy unto the Lord that, that they made and kept and uh, and everything I found that uh, a very interesting principle and I try to implement that in my house as I was uh, renovating it uh, that everything is that I'm just a steward and it, it is meant to be a uh, a holy place where uh, we can have visitations from angels, etc., and where we can do missionary work, temple and family history work, all of these uh, great and marvelous things. Uh, I think that it's a, a huge principle that um, we are, are striving to implement, and and we're getting promptings here and there to to do that. Um, uh, that, yeah. I I think Abraham was really close to, to building a Zion society. If not, I mean, he did. And he had, I mean, Cameron, he had gardeners. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they, you know, they were 
living a Zion-like life together there in his estate, in his grant, because he was very blessed, very wealthy. And I think that we don't see the whole picture. I think they were really, if not a Zion society, very close. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and I think of that points us to a few different things that um, there, there's more than one way to, to be translated, I, I think. This is uh, my own opinion. This isn't coming from the book kind of thing. But it seems that, um, that the Lord has, has destined many different ways to build Zion and, and a few different ways to be translated. It's not a one-size-fits-all. Some people are taken up to Enoch City. Some people are building Zion here and, and not being taken off of the earth necessarily. Uh, some people are, are left to, to be on the earth, like the three Nephites, John the Beloved, etc. Um, there, there's just different, different things. But we know that Abraham was like one of the most faithful people ever upon the earth. If, if anybody's uh, perfected the, the pattern and, and everything, it, it was, of course, him. And so why would he be denied that blessing? Because what is Zion? It's just a place where God can come and dwell with his people. And it sounds like he was building that actively and, and um, all of his people were uh, willing to, to be circumcised, to, to build, to move, to do whatever the Lord required. Um, you know, I, I would think that uh, we could definitely typify uh, Beersheba as, as a Zion. Um, well, wherever he was at, mainly his temple because it moved. But uh, Beersheba is, is a huge Zion pattern. And, you know, before this book, I didn't know about Beersheba. I just kind of, yeah, it's a name over there. But uh, I never knew that it was equated with, with Zion and, and a, a huge temple motif uh, associated with that place. So I think it's really interesting. When he was in Egypt, when he left, he was sent with lots of provisions after that trial. And the same, that other that other place, Gavin, or would you, what did you call it? The same thing, he was sent away with riches also. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, we know that he paid tithing to, to Melchizedek before Melchizedek translated. And so, I mean, he was giving up lots of the stuff, but the Lord just keeps blessing him and, and keeps giving him these provisions and these different things over and over again so that he can build up um, these things. Sometimes as, as a Latter-day Saint culture, um, we, we get mocked for building such elaborate buildings and that, you know, they, they say that we're, we're ignoring the poor and the homeless and stuff. And we're building these mansions that, that aren't even homes kind of a thing, you know, and, you know, we kind of slide it off like, oh, if you only knew what we were doing. But I think that this comes back to, to Zion principles that, uh, as we are building um, centers of, of Zion, that, that we do spare no expense. The Lord gives us the, the means whereby to build temples that are holy places that do have a, uh, certain requisites to, to enter and, and things. Um, and sometimes it takes a, a little, I, I don't know, it takes a little scoffing from, from those that don't quite understand. Um, but it seems to be a pattern throughout all of the ages. Uh, everywhere, uh, the main purpose of gathering of a society is to, to build a temple. I think that that's actually in this chapter somewhere. It says something along that line from, from Joseph Smith. But that's the, the object of societies, to, to build temples. And 
when he built the temple, it said it was very elaborate, but he did not build a throne for himself, but a throne for God, because the house was specifically dedicated as a house for God to come and dwell. It was a place where God could come and dwell. And I think he did. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, how many times, I, I've kind of lost count at this point, but how many times has, has God come to earth to visit Abraham? And, and, you know, you can only assume that all of the faithful around him are also getting visits and things. I mean, he's, you know, that, that's, that's how it becomes as we get closer and closer to God and, and are worthy of some of those blessings, seeing him face to face, etc. that he, he basically can take up his abode with us because he's visiting us all the time to instruct us, give us missions, to uh, help us build and, and do our, our missionary work to become saviors on Mount Zion, etc. Like that's a true principle. And, and oftentimes in, in this generation, we kind of seem to discredit that, 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 oh, that stuff only happened back then. We don't have those blessings today. Um, but yet we can see them in the scriptures. And even with our modern prophets and apostles, they talk about it in uh, the best language that they can. But, you know, that God visits his faithful. Definitely. Or just not even completely faithful, but ones that are trying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Giving an effort. Yeah. I wonder if Brother Clark would have some statistics that he kept on how many times that he was visited by the Lord or, you know. I'm writing that down. That's a good question. Oh, I think it's like Joseph Smith. We really don't know how many times he communicated with divine beings. I mean, it was. Continual, it seems like. Yeah, it was constant. I really think you're right, Laura. I think it was constant. And isn't that such a fun principle? Like, that's something to, to aim for. Like, if I can can prove myself, get my calling election made sure, like, I can have my, my friend Christ come and, and visit me all the time. Like, that's an awesome thing. I, I want that so bad. All right, so um, let's let's just kind of dive into to the homework for, for next time. So uh, again, we aren't necessarily uh, moving forward with our homework assignments, uh, studying and, and things, but actually putting some of this into practice. So uh, this week, if we could uh, pray and study how God wants us personally to implement the Beersheba pattern in our homes, in our communities, how we might be able to, um, to focus on the place and prepare it for the savior kind of a thing. Does that make sense? Um, so our, our previous one was praying for the world at large and, and for repentance, et cetera, and, and all of those blessings there. Um, but this one is very much focused on building a, a temple, uh, building a, a visitor center, a, a place of missionary work, a place of temple and family history work, a place where, where God can dwell. How does the Lord want you to implement that? Or if you've already implemented it, how does he want you to um, magnify that now? 
Um, I think that that's uh, a huge uh, undertaking, honestly. Uh, sometimes it, it takes a lot of work and, and prayer and preparation. Um, but uh, I know for me, for sure, mine is uh, beautifying the place. Like uh, I, <laughs> I worked really hard, COVID hit, and then uh, all of my projects couldn't get financed the way I thought that they were, were going to pan out. And so some of the stuff is kind of an eyesore. And so I need to like work at, at getting things to, to that, that level where I would, would expect that the savior could be and dwell and, and, and things. And so, um, that, that's kind of one of my, um, goals. I have quite a few uh, different ones, but, um, that as I'm building the sanctuary of faith, as I'm renovating my house into, to that, um, and I would just extend that invitation to everyone to, to ponder how the Lord wants you to, to up your game uh, this week, this year, and uh, implement that Beersheba uh, pattern into to your sanctuaries of faith. And, and extending it to the community, how, how you can um, share, uh, widen uh, your, your tent and, and your stakes and, and things like that in that same area. I think you have to be really careful about material things. Mm -hmm. um, my daughter sometimes like to watch those food shows and I just kind of think it's worshiping food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, like, everything can, can get excessive and stuff. Um, and, you know, a lot of times the Lord loves simplicity and in, in things. I, I've always been somebody that you know, likes a, a, a well-decorated house, lots of things and collections. I'm, I'm a big collector of, of lots of different things. Um, and, and a lot of times it's, it comes down to simplify, you know, get rid of, get rid could of. You, could you just walk away from it? If the Lord asked you to, that's where you always have to be, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Whatever it, it is. I, I had an interesting experience today. Um, so we've lived in our house for eight years. And when we first moved here, there was a young man at the top of the street that the sister missionaries were teaching. So I got to interact with him a little bit. And today there was this lady running down the street with a backpack on screaming and crying. And so like, I, I looked out the window and then I just kind of stepped and she started walking back. So I walked out to the street and I waited for her to walk up to me. And she said, he drove off with my food. He has my food. And it turns out that she had been dating this this guy, this young man at the top of the street, and he's been missing for four days, and she's been living in the truck that he left. He took the keys, but he left the truck. She was hungry, and so I said, can I make you a sandwich? And I would have made a sandwich. And, and this isn't to brag. This is just kind of an example of um, looking and watching, and um, I feel like I was really blessed through this, this whole situation. Um, She's crying and, and she's trying to eat the sandwich. And I said, her name is Lauren. And I said, Lauren, and she looks up and I says, you're a daughter of God. And then she just like starts bawling a different kind of crying. And she goes, oh my gosh, you're right. You're right. I am. Thanks for reminding me. Mm -hmm. My husband says she smelled like she was using pot and I didn't smell that. But <laughs> we took her somewhere that she could get help. Um, 
And you have to be careful who you help, obviously, but it didn't feel wrong to me. It felt right to help her. You don't just let somebody run down the street and be hungry. I mean, you, you take care of them, right? Yeah, but the connection sure. that we had, and it turns out, she says, what church do you go to? And I told her, and she goes, what, what is that? And I go, well, we're known as the Mormons. She goes, oh my gosh, my dad's family is all Mormon. They all live in Salt Lake. And, and she says, we have this whole big book of family records. And I'm like, yeah, genealogy, family history. Mm -hmm. You know, that got her thinking and maybe that put her on another path. I don't, I don't know, but yeah. I took her to somewhere that, you know, someone that knew her that she used to rent a room from. And um, he was pretty excited to see her and was going to help her get keys to her truck. And yeah, for sure. There's, there's little opportunities uh, all the time that are presented. And, and, and sometimes I find this myself that sometimes I'm very busy in my own building Zion project that sometimes the Lord places other things and I, I might miss them here and there because I'm, I'm, even though I'm doing good things, I'm, I always need to be open for the spirit to, to guide me throughout the day and, and things or, or else I wouldn't have some great I couldn't finish my chapter <laughs> <laughs> yep I mean this is a, a great book club but you know sometimes other things take precedence and um it, that's a perfect example right there yeah helping somebody um even though it, it, you know it's just as simple as a sandwich and, and a, a few moments yeah. of your time but that, that look at the difference that that made you know she could have found uh, a different person to, to help her that, uh, you know, might have led her down a, a different path, but. She looked completely different. Like her countenance had changed even just in mm -hmm. that short, that short time. Like I, I didn't even recognize her. Like after, you know, after I say, when I was saying goodbye, I'm like, wow, you, you look so different. I didn't think that, but I didn't say that, but I was thinking like, well, you look so different. Mm -hmm. So I hope it made a difference in her life. Yeah, for sure. I, I love that experience. Thank you. Um, let's see. Yeah, so just some of the stuff that, that's on 204 here. I have so many things highlighted and underlined and stuff, but um, uh, something we already mentioned, that Abraham's temple at Beersheba would surely have been one of the most costly and elaborate of all, given the vast resources which God had blessed him. Um, there was an altar, as mentioned in Jubilees, um, uh, describes in some detail the, the many kinds of sacrifices Abraham made thereon as he celebrated the seven-day festival of tabernacles that his posterity would later follow. I love all of the uh, implementations of future practices that, that Abraham was, was doing. You know, we have um, that kind of temple ordinance uh, where he was uh, splitting the, the animals in half and walking through the lane. Um, we had a previous uh, Passover reference, this Feast of Tabernacles, all of these things that are prefiguring his posterity's um, Mosaic law. I, I just found that very interesting as we read through this. Um, but uh, kind of like the uh, places around him that were building up uh, big walled cities, fortresses, etc. Uh, he was building an open facility with a door at each point, inviting all mankind to come and partake of his hospitality and learn of Zion. Uh, you know, that, that's a huge uh, change to, to what his world was back then um, with all of the war. And, and he had even seen war, you know, like when uh, those uh, co the coalition of kings had 
come and taken Lot and, and some of those of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, but still, he has more faith than fear, and he's building an open facility uh, ready to, to invite everyone else in. I think to everything there is a season because Captain Moroni built the opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because that was a, a wartime. <laughs> so. um, and then on, on page 205 here, that Abraham had seen in vision the future descent of Enoch's glorious city of Zion. And the closer we look at what Abraham built at Beersheba, the more it reflects that city. Not only as it was first built on earth, but also as it will come again when the earth will receive her paradisiacal glory and when as brigham young said zion will extend all over this earth it will all be zion i i just love how he ends that there with that quote that, that this world is destined for some great things uh it will all be zion um so yeah, just as we're, we're finishing up, any uh, other things from this chapter that uh, we kind of skipped over or uh, you wanted to talk about real quick? Um, I, it's just lots of fun stuff. The chapters are getting shorter, and so it's not taking as much of our time as chapter seven and eight that are just packed full of everything, but um, very constant uh, progression of, of gospel principles throughout these chapters. Yeah, well, next week. interesting with this whole beautiful story we have of Abraham and his polygamous life, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, how much persecution Joseph Smith received for the direction that he got? But, you know, why wasn't that more accepted? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It seems like. Uh, many of our, our patriarchs have, have had to go through that same uh, test and refiner's fire there uh, through that, that same principle. Um, there's a couple different books that I, I've read uh, fairly recently where um, they, that's what they point out with, with Christ. That's the reason he was uh, martyred and killed as well was because of that principle of, of polygamy uh, with Joseph Smith. That's what ultimately uh, claimed his life. Uh, Abraham wasn't uh, martyred, but uh, he definitely had his tests and trials with, with that principle as well. Um, so you lost me with Christ, but he was a polygamist, is that what you're saying? Uh, some different books that, that I, I've read, yeah, uh, claim that with uh, Elizabeth, Mary, Martha, different uh, uh, key women there at uh, Mary Magdalene. Um, definitely. Yeah. Sorry, what was that? Yeah, uh, definitely was married to women. It talks about how as he traveled, they traveled with him. And they actually even supported him. They were the ones who brought in the money. So if you haven't wrapped your mind around that one, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's that is new... true. He was, he had several wives. <laughs> mm -hmm. I haven't gone there. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll come up with a, a list of, of different uh, materials and stuff on it. It's a fun, fun, interesting uh, path to go down. <laughs> uh, 
to, to consider. I, I'm not uh, trying to, to be that person that, that brings <laughs> random things that <laughs> are, are off or anything. But um, yeah, I, I, I fully believe that that is um, a, a true principle. The church, the church. You know, the church does not teach that. And one time I was at a BYU um, women's conference and Richard Holzefeld was talking about the women that surrounded um, Christ. And I went up to him after and I said, Richard, they were his wives. And he hummed and hawed. He knew they were, but he said, well, President Hinckley told me that if he didn't know, I didn't know. So the church doesn't make any comments on that, okay? Mm. But I really believe they were. And I was taught by an, an institute teacher that they were. So and I, I believe that. But Laura and anybody who's questioning right now, the church does not teach that. Mm-hmm. They, don't, they don't comment. There's a lot of things that, that aren't said um, mm. because the basics are what is most important and mm-hmm. these things aren't yeah exactly um, the, principle, the principle is to you know to be married and i believe he was married even though you're not going to find anything about that i believe he was married yeah. but i don't know how many times he was married and that makes sense i guess that there were all these women around him mm-hmm. yeah all right interesting thought mm-hmm. yeah yeah I think that that was actually one of my first uh, kind of awake moments was um, learning that that principle. I remember I was reading some random Facebook post and and stuff where somebody said that that Christ was married, and I was like, what? That I, I mean, I, I kind of supposed it, but I didn't know. And I, I ran up and um, uh, I told my mom it was when I was still living at home, and I was like what about this? Like, do we go here? Do we even study it? Or is this just wrong? <laughs> kind of a thing. And, and the more we studied and, and found out different things, the more those early uh, prophets like Joseph Smith, Brigham Young, I mean, they talked about it openly, frequently over the pulpit um, and uh, different principles there that, that were fun. Um, but yeah, uh, there's so many different facets to the gospel and, and, and exactly uh, the saving ordinances, uh, getting on the covenant path is, is what's important. And then uh, once we are ready and, and starting to um, be led by the spirit, we, we get led down uh, certain different paths and stuff. There's, you know, if we could just look into the eternities, like Joseph Smith says, and, and glance for five minutes or whatever, uh, you know, we would just be blown away by by the complexities of what our finite minds can't even wrap our heads around sometimes. And and the Lord is willing to share those with us. As soon as we're ready to come to him, he's ready to come to us and start expounding the, the knowledge that, that he has for us and, and everything. I find that that's so comforting to me that uh, that our, our father in heaven loves us so much and, and he puts a lot of trust in us as we start exhibiting faith and um, and not fear of men kind of thing. Um, yeah. Mysteries. Uh, yeah, mysteries. We're told to seek the mysteries, but they're mysterious because they're not ready for everyone kind of thing. And uh, as soon as you understand that, then 
then you're kind of ready to go and, and start <laughs> uh, getting led in, in those. Yeah. All right. Well, it's been fun. <laughs> we didn't go overtime this time. I, I'm trying to keep to our <laughs> one hour. I, it, Laura invited me to an Isaiah decoded class um, to kind of get started. And oh man, that one's an interesting one. And sometimes it goes like two hours, and I'm like, oh my word, like it didn't even seem like it. This class never seems like it's long enough either. But <laughs> there's always so much to talk about. Are you liking it too, darling? Yes, that was really good. That is good. Yeah, I'm excited to um, have this same group um, on our Sundays and, and Tuesdays and stuff that, that are studying Isaiah Decoded together. I think it's going to be fun to, to get even more insights and, and things. I, I love, I just love yeah. studying. I wish I could just be a, a full-time student and pick my own curriculum this time <laughs> rather than do all the university courses. I've been doing the bookmark, but uh -huh. I've been doing it with Isaiah Explained. So I'll read it first in Isaiah uh -huh. and read it and listen to Isaiah Explained at the same oh, time. Uh -huh. Whoa, oh my heck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm excited to, to really dive in there. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, with that, we'll, we'll disband for the yeah. night. But I, I thank you all for coming. It's so fun. Thanks. <laughs> we'll Good night. Good night.